Now for Raising the Bar, Greater RVA's premier law talk radio show. Call into the show with your stories and questions at 804-454-1366. Good morning and welcome to Raising the Bar, the Law Talk Radio Show. This is Colleen Quinn of Locke and Quinn, uh, both an attorney at Locke and Quinn and your program host this morning. Uh, remember that you can get um, a plethora of different items to eat uh, close to Locke and Quinn. We're located right at Willow Lawn, um, and we now have the Chick-fil-A in addition to the Chipotle. So you can come get your personal injury, employment law, family law services, estate planning, and your big beefy burrito or a nice chicken salad. Uh, we also have um, a lot of places across the street in the Willow Lawn Shopping Center, so you can come get it all at once. So welcome to our show this morning. Um, we are going to be talking about tackling domestic violence uh, resources and the law. And uh, before I introduce our guest today, just remember that Raising the Bar Legal Talk Radio Show is on every Wednesday morning at 9 a.m., and we talk about a variety of different areas of legal topics. Uh, we also bring uh, true life stories, cases, legal tips, and information from experts and specialists. And remember that the law is something that's not some that's available to everybody. And so uh, we are working on getting up on the Raising the Bar Law Talk radio page all of the various legal resources that are available throughout Virginia, both on a pro bono and on a reduced cost basis. And uh, we are hoping to get that up, if not by the end of this week, uh, by the end of next week. So joining us today um, is Linda Tashir, and she is the executive director of the Richmond YWCA. And also joining us um, is Kathleen Carey, who is a clinician at the Y. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Welcome, and uh, thanks for being here today. So, Linda, why don't you tell us a little bit about what you do at the Y? I know that's a whole lot of stuff. <laughs> <laughs> well, sure. And first of all, thank you for having us this morning. Um, so I joined the YWCA about five and a half years ago as the CEO, and um, it's it's been an incredible journey since I've been there. Um, primarily what I do at the YWCA is around three things. I, I really work um, on creating the strategy for the organization as well as um, helping to, to raise funds and awareness about the work that we do out in the community. And then also, really, it's around the internal culture and making sure that we're supporting our people who do the work um, and the front, uh, are on the front line every day. Um, and, and really, that culture um, starts with being a trauma-informed agency because of the work that we do. Uh, it's so important that we're supporting our employees who are dealing with others who are in trauma um, every day. That's a, an excellent point. You don't always think about those responders and um, how they are affected by things. And Kathleen, what about you? What do you do at the Y? Yeah, I'm a clinician there, so I do individual and group therapy. Um, and the Y serves both Richmond and Chesterfield, so a lot of my time is spent out here in Chesterfield County. In fact, I understand you're just five minutes from the station yes, here. You're pretty, yes, very pretty convenient. close by. <laughs> Great. Yes. Well, thank you so much for um, having uh, being here today um, and me being able to have you on the show. So, Linda, you know, I was um, 
uh, a president of the board of the Y back in the in the 90s, really dating myself now. And I know, and I was, I've been intricately involved with the Y for many, many years, but I know that the, the YW, and we're talking about the YW, not the, not the YM, the YW, uh, the YWCA has evolved tremendously and even over, just over the past five years. So can you tell us about the, the YW's programs and what's been going on? Sure, I'd be happy to. It's true. Uh, you know, the YWCA is one of the oldest nonprofits in, in Richmond. In fact, we're one of the oldest YWCAs um, in the South. Uh, so while we've been around 130 years um, and have always been about the advancement of um, our mission, which is around the empowerment of women and the elimination of racism, how we've done that over all those decades um, has changed. And just in the last five years, um, we have doubled the amount of programs and services that we provide to the community. We've doubled our staff. Um, we are reaching um, thousands of people all the time. And there's really four key uh, pieces to the YWCA right now in terms of the mission programs that we provide. Um, around the empowerment of women, we do a lot around women's leadership and leadership development uh, for any woman who's out there who's interested in, in gaining nonprofit board experience. We have a Young Women's Leadership Association, which is for women 25 to 35, if, if they would like to apply to be on that. We also have the, the Governing Board, which is an all-women board, which is fairly unique uh, in this region. Yeah. Um, and we also have other programs to recognize outstanding women in our community. I know you were an outstanding woman honoree uh, years ago, and... Um, we do that program every year. This is our 38th year of, of recognizing outstanding women, and we also recognize rising outstanding women, too. That, that is an amazing event, by the way, just to hear each woman, each award recipient, uh, give uh, two minutes of, of basically what they do and, and uh, how they contribute to the community. So thank you for that event. Oh, thank you. And uh, every year I'm just uh, just overwhelmed with the the amount of women that are nominated and and just how amazing they are. We just selected our honorees for um, 2018. They'll be announced in January. Uh, yeah, so that luncheon is every spring um, and is open to the public. Um, and then we also uh, have the Pat Ash Fellowship, which really is for a woman who's 50 or better, who's interested in getting some professional or personal development this is a uh, an actual fellowship, which is worth up to seventeen thousand five hundred, and is in partnership with the Jackson Foundation. So, if there are women who are interested, that application process is open right now on our website. Um, if women are interested in that fellowship, and what that's about is really someone who is fifty or better who is looking to get um, some some personal or professional development that will then help them. Uh, affect social change in the community, or or make you know the Richmond, Greater Richmond region a better a better place to live and to work. And there, it can take a lot of different ways. But um, if you're interested in that, I I um, suggest you go to our website and get more information on that. So that's all about women's leadership and empowerment. But the other piece of empowerment too is we recognize that when parents have to work and they have children under the age of of five years old. Um, that they can't do that without finding a high-quality, uh, safe place for their children to be. And so we run the Sprout School, which is an early childhood education that is a mixed-income and uh, integrated approach to early childhood. Highly affordable, but 
Um, we it's also a very high quality program around a Reggio Emilia approach. We have about 140 children in that program uh, between two locations, the Children's Museum of Richmond and downtown. Um, and it's it's an incredible way to help children get ready to be uh, to go to kindergarten. Um, but it's it's very empowering for the families who who need to find a place for their children. So that's another big a big piece of it. Um, and then what we're here to talk about today, and that's really around the work that we do with survivors of domestic and sexual violence. And that work starts with prevention and education and raising awareness, such as this show. But also um, we do a lot of uh, speaking engagements and educational programming to help people understand what a healthy relationship is and what are the red flags if you're in an unhealthy relationship um, so that they can get the services they need. And then we go into our crisis services, which is around the Greater Richmond Regional Hotline, which we run for the whole region, which we get about 5,000 calls wow. a year on. And that hotline is uh, specifically the point of entry to get all of our ser- access to all of our services. So so let me ask you, um, so let's say, for example, I have a friend and she's in a bad situation, um, and I, I know that she's in a household where she's being abused, et cetera. What advice do I give to her to basically um, get her into the YWCA system, um, and, and how do I guide her? Mm-hmm. So um, I can speak that a little bit, and Kathleen, chime in. Um, so the Greater Richmond Regional Hotline is a 24-7, 365-day-a-year resource for the Greater Richmond community. The number is really easy to remember, and I, hopefully you can get it up on your website, but it's 804-612-6126. Anyone can call that number. If you are looking to figure out how to help your friend, um, you can call the hotline and explain what the situation is, and they will provide resources to you and information. So the hotline is not just for the victims themselves to call, but it's for family members and friends and others who just want to know how to help and how to get resources um, that are needed. That's really good. And so let's say I've called the hotline. What are they going to tell me to do to to guide my friend? And Kathleen, it looks like you're probably the right person for that question. It's a great question. <laughs> um, I think they would help you keep yourself safe as her support um, and then kind of give you whatever resources you need to take care of you and then guide your friend to safety whenever he or she is ready. What would that guidance be? Um, what would be some of the things that I would have to do to try to prompt her to to get some help? Um, I think it would be... Um, Making sure, of course, that she is safe and not in immediate danger. And if it is a case of immediate danger, um, when to involve maybe law enforcement or something like that. Um, But really kind of asking the questions of what does she need right now? um, And then how can you help her get to a place where she can call the hotline to you? Because a lot of times when friends or family call the hotline on behalf of somebody else, our All of our services are voluntary, which means that you can choose to come or not. Um, But it is up to the individual to kind of initiate those services. So I'm not going to call for even my sister to come in for counseling or case management. She's got to kind of make that first step. So one option is for her to go ahead and get counseling. 
and sure. and that can be accomplished through the the YWCA. Yeah. Um, what if it's she's an immediate danger? I know that. Um, what are the the shelter options or the options there? So we do have emergency housing. Um, folks can stay in that anywhere from two nights up to maybe three weeks or more, depending on what the needs are um, and what the next steps are after leaving emergency housing. Um, And then we can also help. We have a program called Rapid Rehousing. It's exactly what it sounds like, just trying to get somebody into their own place as quickly as possible. There's some financial assistance with that, um, but it's permanent housing for an individual or family family. and so we can help with that as well. That is so critical for somebody in that type of situation to know because, of course, one of the things they're most concerned about is they pick up and leave with their children to escape the abuser, and now they're homeless right, out on the streets unless they have some family to take them in. And, of course, you being a clinician, as you well know, many of these women are embarrassed. Uh, they, they're trying to keep the fact that they're subject to abuse private Right. Um, and so knowing that, that, that there is a place where they can go and, and stay um, and that the YW has that resource is just so critical to that process. And, and it's not just the YW. So we are part of a regional collaborative. So the regional hotline um, will direct you to the agency that is closest to where you live. And, and all of the agencies provide uh, emergency housing. But I do think it's also important to understand that when you call... Um, you're going to go through an assessment process. And if it's assessed that you are in imminent danger, absolutely, we're going to bring you into shelter. But what we really would like to do is help you with some safety planning because we recognize that fleeing a, a violent situation um, isn't always the, um, while, while you have to do that, it's not the, the best way to do it. The best way is to plan ahead of time how you're going to leave um, and especially if you have children. And, right. and, and so being able, what, what a lot of our clinicians do, and, and, and they work with survivors to help them safety plan so that hopefully they can avoid that imminent danger experience and have to flee to go to shelter, but rather be prepared and ready to leave. When you're ready to leave, you have everything in place that you need to be able to leave safely. And that's, that's the key. Because we know that the most dangerous time for a victim of domestic violence is when they tell their abuser they're going to leave. Yeah, yeah. Um, and at that point, that's the scariest point. Um, you know, because at Lock and Quinn, we do um, family law. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other side is the legal piece, and that is um, basically gathering up those documents that they're going to they're going to need the the children's records any financial information any information about assets um you know making a copy of the 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 title to the car the deed to the house i mean basically pulling together those things that um ultimately could lead to a, a, you know a potential divorce and equitable distribution but if the if the woman picks up and leaves and we're talking about women but there are instances where sometimes it is the the man that is actually the the victim absolutely um but you know a lot, what we confront as attorneys sometimes is the the fact that one party will not have um, any of the information about the household finances or household assets, um, insurance, uh, uh, title to the car, the deed to the house, those sorts of things that I mentioned. And so uh, part of that kind of planning process um, also involves the the gathering of information and data before before taking off. 
Absolutely. And, and those are things that we can help with in terms of, you know, well, what do I need to, to, to put together and, and have ready when I'm ready to, to, to go? Um, and then, you know, in addition to that, um, whether you go into emergency shelter or whether you're just being seen through our, our counseling program or our case management, because we also have um, social workers on staff who help with a lot of the other things that you need, including uh, access to health care or access to employment. That's or another thing, access, the health insurance card, exactly. you know, that, that you need to bring a Absolutely. copy of that. So, you know, just, uh, and, and many times when you're in an abusive relationship, um, all of these things are withheld from you. So you don't, you don't even know what resources are available. So we help you with those resources and connecting you to those resources. And also, um, you know, do you need, do you need to find employment? Do you need to go back to school? Do you need health care for your children or do you need legal assistance? And I know that this show con- focuses on legal assistance. You know, I would say, most of our clients do. And so another service that we provide is, is court advocacy, but also access to legal services. We just recently, as a regional collaborative, um, hired a, a part-time attorney. And that attorney is right now working to put together all of either the pro bono or low bono type of legal resources that are available. And that list, as soon as it's done, will provide to you um, but it'll be provided to all the agencies in the collaborative. She and I need to collaborate because we have a list that we've compiled already. Um, oh, great. Yeah, it's it's about to go up on the website. We're just trying to organize it so that we have all of the statewide services at the top. And then we have the breakdown of the regional services um, listed from there on. Um, we will definitely so, have yes, her call yes. you. <laughs> so, and I, you know, and I've, I've spoken to the folks at the Virginia Poverty Law Center, too. And what's what's interesting, and also the folks at the Greater Richmond Bar Association, and what's been interesting is there's really been no pulling together of all of the available sources that are out there, legal resources. So hopefully if we all work together, we can um, have a compilation that's that's available for folks, um, and that that's going to be an amazing resource for people to have. Absolutely, and you know, the the needs for legal services um, range in, in, depending upon what the situation is of the survivor. But um, you know, protective orders is is the first thing. But but there's also a, a huge need for legal services around child custody issues, around divorce proceedings. These things, which are more prolonged and um, can last months, if not years, um, we find it's it's more difficult to find legal resources to help our clients. It is. And, and the reality is, and so the Greater Richmond Borrow Association is working on a triage project or a triage project, however you decide to say it, tomato, tomato, you know. <laughs> and uh, so, uh, and actually I just went through their um, protective order training and, and having actually been a victim myself and having had to go get my, well, actually I had a friend drag me to go get um, the first emergency protective order. Um, the the training was, was excellent training. So a lot of lawyers are getting trained to uh, be able to assist with protective orders. And that is something that's relatively easy for an attorney to do because, I mean, even if you go for the emergency uh, protective order and then you go for the temporary and then you go for the permanent, um, you're still not having to be involved on a prolonged basis. The The problem with legal services for uh, the divorce and custody is that oftentimes those proceedings will go on for a year to two years. And in fact, in, in our 
uh, law firm, we actually have some cases that have been going on for 10 years. And so when you're um, trying to get an attorney that's going to do that sort of prolonged legal work, um, that's where it becomes a lot more difficult. And so uh, there's got to be some good um, some good thinking about that that process and, and how do we further bolster getting legal services beyond just that immediate protective order stage. So um, this whole collaborative process involves a lot of different groups and a lot of different folks. And hopefully one of the things that you and I, Linda, talked about was kind of bringing the legal piece, um, including what Greater Richmond Bar Foundation is doing and what others are doing, uh, to the domestic violence piece so that we can better work in collaboration. Absolutely. Because the one attorney you have on staff is, is going to need other attorneys to get those protective <laughs> <laughs> absolutely yeah so, absolutely so. and that attorney is 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 really a more of a, a of a resource person not necessarily representing right she's not going to be able to, exactly. to pound the sidewalk and go to every single court exactly. that's, that's right. out there so tell us a little bit i tell us about the other groups because i know that the ywu has worked really hard to build a collaborative a regional collaborative mm-hmm. so tell us who else is in that collaborative so there's seven dif- seven different um, programs that are involved in that. Um, and we have the Goochland uh, Free Clinic and Family Services out in the Goochland, Goochland County, Hanover Safe Place up in Hanover, um, Safe Harbor uh, that, that mostly works in the Henrico County area. Uh, we, it's also Project Hope out in New Kent and the James House down in the Tri-Cities area. And then in addition to that, just recently, uh, the Powhatan program has has come on on board. So these agencies, all of the executive directors meet once a month, and what we do is we we focus on what are the services and programs that we can do more effectively and more efficiently together. And it started with our hospital accompaniment program. All of us provide hospital accompaniment. And what that is, is that when a survivor of domestic or sexual violence goes to an emergency room and is seen by a forensic nurse, that triggers a call to the Greater Richmond Regional Hotline um, to have a patient advocate, which we call um, our our heart volunteers. And our heart stands for Regional Hospital Accompaniment Response Team. These, and interestingly enough, um, Colleen, for those people who are interested in getting more involved in this as a volunteer, that's a totally volunteer program. Wow. I love that name too, Our Heart. Yeah. 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 And and those those folks go through about what, forty hours? Forty hours. Yeah, forty hours of training to to become an Our Heart volunteer. And then they go out and they um help they help out there. So these are uh folks that um that program is is another regional program. We also just recently started a human trafficking regional uh, program that's run through Safe Harbor. We also have housing, uh, legal assistance, financial assistance, um, uh, and uh, rapid rehousing. So there's everything from housing to to, to um, support for survivors. So uh, we're going we're going to come back right after the break because I want to go into a little bit more detail about each of those services that are provided. Remember, if you do want to call into the show, we are talking about tackling domestic violence resources and the law. And call in at 804-454-1366. Again, 804-454-1366. We'll be right back talking to Linda Tashir and to Kathleen Carey about domestic violence and the work of the YWCA. Thanks. 
Greater Richmond's premier law talk radio show. Call into the show with your stories and questions at 804-454-1366. Now, back to Raising the Bar. Call into the show with your stories and questions at 804-454-1366. We are back. This is attorney Colleen Quinn of Locke & Quinn and also your program host. Today we are talking about domestic tackling domestic violence uh, resources and the intersection with the law. And uh, with me today is Linda Tashir and Kathleen Carey of the YWCA. We've been talking about some of the services the YWCA has to offer, including its uh, regional hotline and also the counseling services that are provided. We were just talking about the Our Heart program, which is the hospital accompaniment program, and some of the regional collaboration with a lot of the um, other uh, different programs that are throughout the central Virginia area, all working together on that Our Heart program. And uh, Linda, you were talking about some of the other programs that the Y uh, has the YW has to offer. One of them uh, you mentioned was the human trafficking program uh, that has been set up. Let's talk a little bit about that and why that's such a critical issue. Sure. So I think one thing that uh, many people don't realize is that Richmond um, and the Richmond region is one of the um, uh, biggest centers of human trafficking in the country. And and the reason for that is because of where we're located. So at that confluence of I-64 and I-95, um, as well as uh, the ports down in the Virginia Beach and Hampton Roads area, um, it, it allows the movement of human trafficking to happen. We think um, about the movement of goods and whatnot. We don't think about the necessarily the movement of, of people as goods. Right. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. And and so uh, we're seeing, you know, more and more of um, the survivors that we see are, are victims of, of trafficking. And so um, Safe Harbor, which is one of our regional partners, um, is also partnering with uh, the Bon Secours Health Systems. And just recently opened a shelter for human uh, trafficking um, and in, and is getting ready to open um, a second. Um, and so they provide uh, the primary resources for uh, human trafficking uh, victims. So all of us work together. And if we have someone who we feel um, it has been or the police have identified has been, um, we will refer to, to Safe Harbor uh, and and to work with them because it's a very different kind and, and maybe Kathleen you can talk a little bit too. It, it's different, right? Than, than your so. your typical survivor, right? And so something else that's important to remember is um, a lot of survivors of trafficking have been in that a system, so to speak, for quite some time. And something that keeps them there often is the use of drugs and opiates, especially um, and so a survivor of human trafficking cannot necessarily um, go to your average homeless shelter, let's say, because um, they need specialized care. And so it's important for them to have access to the care that they need so that they can get out of the trafficking system and into a life of freedom. Right. 
And part of getting to freedom is mm-hmm. getting off of the drug addiction. Right. And I guess that's where Bon Secours also comes in, in terms of helping them go through a detox and and getting yeah. off that drug dependency. But it's a it's a compounded problem right. because not only do they have their uh, their trafficker, their, who's essentially their abuser, who they is almost their only family. Mm. So, you know, yeah. they're, they're tied into that person, but then they're also addicted to, you know, whatever the drugs are that are being provided to them. So they've got that dependency as well. So you've got a, a much more complicated, uh, compounded problem when you're dealing with the victims of, of trafficking, right. human trafficking, it sounds like. Well, that's wonderful that you all are, are working in that area as well, which is just another area of domestic violence that we don't necessarily always... Or domestic abuse or or just sexual abuse that we don't mm-hmm. always think about. So it looks like we've got uh, a caller that's called into the show. Uh, Ryan, you are on the air. Um, hi. So uh, my question is, what are my options if I want to leave a relationship, but I don't want to leave my home and my belongings and my kids behind? Oh, that is a great question, Ryan. So I'm going to go ahead and pass that one over to Kathleen first while I noodle on the legal side of it. <laughs> yes. Great question, Ryan. Thank you. Um, so there's no one answer. Um, and our hotline specialists, thankfully, are highly trained and very knowledgeable on uh, options that people have. Um, and so when you call the hotline and say something to the effect that you're talking about where you want to get out of the relationship, but you want to maintain your home and keep your kids safe. Um, And I think a lot of survivors want their children to stay in their same school system. Um, So that's especially a need. Uh, The specialist can work with you about how you can either stay safe in your home or um, keep your kids in their school. There's a McKinney-Vento Act, which allows somebody staying in a shelter within the area um, to keep their kids in school. Um, But the first option is not to just up and leave. We would be working with you on um, really, like I said, how to keep yourself safe in the whole process and not necessarily just run out the door right now with nothing. And that makes sense. That's that's great advice, Kathleen. Um, Ryan, from the legal side, a you can actually p- proceed to get a protective order, and is and the judges have great breadth of authority with when they're take, issuing protective orders, and one of them that folks don't always recognize is that the judge can basically order uh, that you get essentially you get possession of the house, and that the abuser. Uh, as part of the protective order, is not allowed to a- approach the house. Um, and that basically, if if there is an ongoing exchange of children, it's done in a neutral area or done at the school. So a lot of folks don't realize that as part of getting a protective order, they can actually get uh, possession of, of the home as well, hmm. um, which, you know, most folks think I have to leave. And that's not right. always necessarily the case. And that's why this collaboration of working with attorneys who uh, understand the breadth of protective orders and what the options are, um, is so critical to making sure that uh, getting that information out there so there's not this misconception of it's always the battered person that has to leave the household. So, Linda, why don't we talk, too, about just um, 
how the the first responders work and uh, the the working with the police side of things as well, because that's something that also factors into Ryan's question. Um, she wants to stay in the house with her kids, um, but but there are ongoing problems. So what are her options in terms of involving the police? Sure. <clears throat> so I think one thing that um, people don't realize is how prevalent this issue is. Yes. So one out of every four adult women have experienced some some form of domestic violence in their lifetime. Um, and, and when you think about this, domestic violence, I call it the silent epidemic. It it doesn't discriminate based on education or socioeconomics or ethnic or race or anything. It affects everyone and everywhere. And so um, many times the police are called to domestic incidents. Um, another thing I think people don't realize is the um, that domestic violence is one of the leading causes of, of death for, for women because when the relationship turns that violent, um, many times they, they lose their life. And, and so when police are called out to a domestic violence incident, um, we have a partnership now through the Richmond Police, and now we're working on one with VCU as well, um, where they do an assessment on site. They are trained. This is a best practice model called lethality assessment protocol. They are trying to determine, is this person, first of all, who's the aggressor? Because sometimes when you get to these situations, you don't even know who the primary aggressor is. Um, and then after they determine that, is is the, the victim in danger? Are, right. are they in imminent danger? Are they going to lose their life here? Do they need to get out? And that's, that's not always easy to do because Kathleen was talking during the break about how some abusers will actually injure themselves. Um, mm. and, and, and one of you mentioned the slashing with the knife of the, of the arm. Um, so for the police to try to do that assessment, it's not always an easy thing if the perpetrator is actually setting himself or herself up to look like they've been the injured one. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. And so they have to figure that out. And, and they've been trained. They go through intensive training on how to identify who the primary aggressor is. And this, which police department is it right now that's gone through that training? So right now we work with the Richmond okay. Police Department, and um, we call this our LAP, our LAP protocol. And, the, uh, and so what will happen is if they're in that situation and they've identified the primary aggressor and they realize that the, the victim is in, Im in imminent danger, they will call right then and there to the Richmond Regional Hotline and they will put that person on the telephone and they will say, talk to them. Right. And, and so at that point, what we try to do is assess, does this person want to get out? If so, where can we, where can we send them? Um, or does this person need services and can we have them follow up with us, you know, later? Um, but, but the great thing is that the police officers um, are, are able to do something immediately and directly and and that link between the first responders and the YWCA is so critical to helping to hopefully avoid uh, avoid death and um, we know through statistics through the attorney general's office that about a third of homicides in the state of Virginia are due to domestic violence. Well, you look at Yardley Love at UVA, you look at some of the more high-profile ones, and Dr. Gibbs, who was just recently convicted of um, the, the missing girlfriend, body never found, um, 
you know, there, you have a lot of those higher profile cases that we see. Um, but those statistics that you just mentioned, Linda, one third of all homicides that really brings home um, just how prevalent a problem domestic violence is. Absolutely. And, and so I think what might be helpful too to the audience and, and Kathleen, I'm going to ask if you can help with this mm. is we talk a lot about education and awareness about what are the red flags. Cause a lot of people, when they think of domestic violence, they're thinking it's actually physical violence, you know? So if, if they're not hitting me, if, right. if they're not doing anything, you know, physically to me, I'm not in that situation. Right. But that's, that usually happens at the end. There are a lot of red flags that will help you understand that you are in an unhealthy relationship. And I think it would be helpful just to talk about some sure. of those. And I have found in the support group that I lead, um, what often sticks with clients, the, they'll say the bruises heal, the cuts heal. Um, but it's those things like the look that that their abuser gives this happens a lot when you're out in public and the victim has, quote, done something wrong. It's an emotional abuse. Right. Yeah. Right. And so those looks stay. The names that people get called by their abuser, that stays. Um, and so that's the emotional piece. Also, kind of one of the first steps, so to speak, in domestic violence is isolation. Right. And so we touched on this earlier about how it would be best for you to stay with your family. Um, but that's often not not the first option for somebody because they've been isolated from family and friends. Right. So, Which is an, another factor. Right. The other thing, um, having uh, been a victim myself, is that you are generally in love with the person or you were in love with the person or you're in love with the person when they're on their, their good behavior. Um, right. And, you, of course, we've got the, the honeymooning cycle where the abuser will abuse and then come back around to kind of the loving part, to the loving cycle. Mm. And so you're in love with that side of the person. And many times the abuser will have um, his or her own mental health issues. Um, in, in my case, the abuser was manic depressive. And so that, mm. um, in terms of the cycling between the honeymoon behavior and then the abusive behavior, um, was was also readily explained by the fact that um, he was bipolar and then and then using alcohol to self medicate. Um, so it's very difficult. Um, and as Linda, you mentioned before, you know this crosses all all levels. So here I am, an attorney, uh, middle class. Um, this can't be happening to me. Um, this person, uh, you know. Th- this can't be happening, you know, Mm -hmm. and then you find yourself being dragged up the stairs by your hair and, and, and being told you're going to be killed. And, um, and, and you're still in this dream world and wondering this, this can't be happening to me. And besides this is a good person. And, and you know that it's a good person deep inside, but also the person is troubled and having issues. And so trying to break from that and thank God I had a girlfriend who knew what I was, I started telling her what was going on, sharing with her confidentially. And she just said, this is, this is really bad, you know, and she's the one that dragged me to go finally get the protective order. But mm-hmm. I, st- but then that just increased the stalking behavior and um, made, intensified the threats, et cetera. And now it was getting a gun. And, you know, so it's, uh, it's a very difficult thing for somebody to get out of. And right. so the, the role that the YW plays, especially too, in 
and also letting that person know that it's not their fault, you know, Absolutely. because there's a lot of guilt and there's a lot of, of feeling, especially if you've been isolated, and you've been emotionally abused. There's a lot of, of feeling that this must be me. Mm. This must be me that's causing this. Um, and so breaking that um, psychological barrier is is one of the most critical things in in getting out because you're, you're just not thinking that you're in danger sometimes either. Right. You think you're not in danger and that you're alone in the problem. Um, and It's embarrassing. Very much so. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what we see a lot on the clinical side um, in therapy is kind of breaking through that shame and realizing that it wasn't their fault. And we can't always just love the bad out of somebody. Um, and then something else that you're touching on, too, that we don't often talk about is grief. There's a lot of grief of what could have been or, um, like you were saying, the good side that maybe you fell in love with at the beginning that you don't often see anymore. Um, but there is that layer of grief that is so complicated, too, because you did love them, but they were mean to you and and they, you know, brought out the worst part of themselves Right. On you, and you have to grieve the the loss of the good side, right? You know, and and basically be realistic about the other side. I don't know if Ryan is still on the phone, but Ryan, I do want to thank you for calling into the show and for that great question that you had. So hopefully, if you're still listening, yeah, uh, you will get my my note of appreciation. Um, so let's talk a little bit too about some of the other programs because we, before we went on the break, um, Linda, you were talking about some of the other programs that the Y has to offer. And I know we mentioned we've got the counseling, we've got the hotline, we've got the Our Heart program with the hospital accompaniment, we've got the human trafficking. You're now working with the LAP uh, program, which is the training of the Richmond police. Hopefully that program will ex be extended to more police departments and hopefully to uh, college campus police departments. Mm -hmm. um, but I think there were one or two other things that uh, you might have mentioned, unless we've hit upon all of them. No, there are a couple of other things um, that I think are important um, to 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 mention. One is that um, we have started an employment navigation program. So many times when a survivor uh, leaves, um, they have not been employed. One of the ways that their abuser controls them is financially. And they're not allowed to work. They're not allowed to have their own bank account. They're not allowed to have access to money. Um, but now they find themselves as a single provider for their for themselves and for their children, um, and so what do they do? Right. And so um, we work with survivors um, through our employment navigation program, and this is a regional program to um, help them figure out what what are some of the barriers to employment and how do we how do we resolve that, and then what are some resources they can have. So depending upon what it is they want to do or that they are able to do. Um, we can help them find employment, and that's so critical. So, you got to get them out of the the unsafe situation. Right. You got to get them into housing. Right? right. But they can't. Many times, they'll go back to their abuser. This is another thing that people find difficult to understand. Is well, first of all, why why don't they leave? Mm -hmm. And then secondly, why are they going back? And 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 on average, they may go back seven times. 
you know, before they get out of the relationship. You mentioned Colleen because they love them. Right. 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 You're still in love with that person and you want to believe that they are going to get better. Yes. And you want to believe that the situation's going to improve, you know? So there's, there's love, there's, there's threats of, I'm going to kill you. I'm going to kill your children. I'm going to kill your parents. I'm going to kill someone if you don't come back. There's, there's the financial piece, right? right? I don't have the money to support myself, but my abuser does. Right. Or the money to support, even more importantly, my children. Yes. Right? Or my children miss their, their miss, father. Exactly. You know, yeah. there's all of these emotional and real-life reasons why people will return to their abuser. So what we try to do is let's figure out what you need to become self-sufficient to be able to be the, the the provider for yourself and for your children to live a healthy, safe life for 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 everyone in your family. So that's another big piece. And then we also um, through um, the James House in the Tri Cities area, we are providing um, legal af- advocacy specifically around immigration. Oh, so wow. we deal. There are a lot of immigration issues that we deal with with survivors. Um, and, you know, the immigrant population, especially in today's day and age, very fearful of of coming forth to get help. Right, because they're afraid of being deported. Exactly. Yeah. And so we have started that program through through the James House, um, and, and they have bilingual people on staff. Um, and and we're, we're finding that, you know, that is something that we're probably going to need, when we talk about legal advocacy, probably going to need more and more of. Um, is is around the immigration issues. And actually, that's interesting because the the Greater Richmond Bar Foundation, one of the training segments they offered was um, on immigration, basic immigration issues. So we we definitely need to continue to work together to kind of cross these bridges. Um, You know, it's the why is doing so much, which is so amazing. (laughs) It's uh, one of the things that is still out there that you the YW can't fix, nobody can fix, but it, it's still the issue of the basic mental health um, issues with abusers, you know, right. um, the the drug and alcohol addiction, the mental health issues. And at some point, we've got to look even deeper and kind of look at, okay, the, the training in uh, elementary school, um, you know, identification of uh, psychotic and uh, different mental health illnesses and trying to really grasp this whole problem at a even more fundamental letter, uh, level. But that's that's a, a lot more to bite off than you guys. You are, you are, <laughs> the YW and all of its collaborative partners have already worked to, to bite off a, a, mm-hmm. a huge uh, chunk of different uh, areas. And it's amazing that in the last five years, uh, your work has mushroomed into so many different um, aspects of domestic violence and whatnot. So, Kathleen, I didn't know if you had any stories that um, from working in this field that you might be able to share. Sure. Um, so to speak especially to the legal side, um, a lot of clients, after coming out of a situation and starting the whole divorce and custody and support process, um, that's another way for an abuser to regain control is to drag them to court several times. Right, and fight um, fight over the children. Right, yeah. right. And um, so kind of what Linda was touching on earlier with that financial abuse happening within the relationship, it's hard for our clients to find attorneys that they can afford who will stick with them through this entire process of being dragged to court sometimes for years Um and I was meeting with somebody recently, actually, who 
She divorced her husband, I want to say, probably two years ago, um, but custody is still getting dragged, um, and it's gone through several different courts. It's gone through JDR up into circuit court and then going back down, and um, so it's just been a mess through the whole system, and custody is not in her favor at the moment. Um, It's been twisted throughout the whole process, but she said, I've already spent 7000 on an attorney. I can't afford to keep going. But she wants to fight for her kids. Her right. mother instinct comes in, and the fight's not done, and Mama Bear's coming out, but she can't afford it. Well, and 7000 is actually not that much, relatively. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, we've had cases um, of over 100000 um, where the, the fight is on. Oftentimes, the divorce itself is simple and easy, but when right. you've got uh, these child custody proceedings that— just go on and on and on, um, that's where there's a lot of money um, that can be expended and, and high attorney bills that can be run up. So it in the legal system, you can get an award uh, for your legal fees. Mm. Um, the issue is finding those attorneys that are willing to take the case on a pay later, you know, get it from the, the, the judge awarding. And it's not always going to be a guarantee that the judge is going to award the person their legal fees um, in, in mm. the case. Um, but where there is that financial disparity, that is that is something that oftentimes does occur is that the judge will go ahead and especially if the judge realizes that the case is being uh, unnecessarily delayed. Uh, will go ahead and make an award of attorney fees to uh, the person that's uh, that's at the financial disadvantage and really can't afford those attorney fees and yet is trying to fight in a fair, equitable fashion. Mm. So um, we just need to kind of start to build up a list of those attorneys that are that are more willing to go ahead right. and represent uh, the the person that's at the economic disadvantage, knowing right. that they might get payment later out of any sort of uh, equitable distribution or settlement or, or court award or order. So um, basically. I know that we're going to bring you back on the show, Linda, and hopefully we're going to talk about um, dating violence a little bit, and then we'll also talk a little bit more about sexual assault, because those are two even uh, more compounded, interesting areas. Uh, we've talked today about domestic violence, and we are about to wrap up the show. I re- really want to thank both of you for joining us today. Is there anything else that you would like to share with regard to the work of the Y? or working in this field or any other stories that you can think of? Well, one thing I would just like to mention uh, for anyone listening out there is that we um, we do a lot of education and awareness programming. So we have programs. We can come out. We have a speakers bureau. If you're interested in having us come to speak to your organization, to your church, to your place of work, to whoever about this issue, um, we can do that. Because, and that's all free. And that's all free. Yeah. In fact, everything we've been talking about today is free. And, and that's something that's really, really important for people to understand. We do not charge for these services. That's because you do such good work with the fundraising side. <laughs> <laughs> we try. Yes. So thank you for joining us on the show today. Today we had Linda Tashir and Kathleen Carey of the Richmond YWCA talking about domestic violence resources um, and the intersection with the law. We will be getting up some of those resources on the website shortly. And thank you, ladies, for joining. Thank Thank you. Thank you so much, Colleen.